Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of The Imposter, the podcast dedicated to making science more fun and engaging for you, the audience. Alright, so it is I, your host, Amir Fogel, and on today's episode, let me tell you friends, we are actually not going to do what we usually do, and instead, we're going to do a bit of a celebration and do a bit of a sad morning period. And this is actually, actually not morning at all, but the, the announcement is uh, one that I released on Facebook the other week, which is that the imposter is going to switch to a bi-monthly format. So... I figured it's only fair for you all to get the best quality episodes that I can provide, and I felt that I couldn't provide the best quality episodes doing it once a week. And let's be honest, I wasn't doing it once a week this past summer. I mean, once every other week anyway, so hey, there you go. Now, the good news is this is a little bit of a landmark episode as it is number 25. So we've had 25 lovely episodes on The Imposter, and because of that, I've made today a bit of a countdown. So we're going to start with episode number 25 and work our way down the number line to episode number 2. What's that, two? Why wouldn't you end on number one? That seems like a pretty good place to end. And the reason why is you'll have to listen to the end of this episode to find out why. Because I'm not going to tell you right now. Alright? Just too much to get into. So, listen to the end of this episode to find out where episode number one is and how to listen to it. Because it's not on the SoundCloud. It's not on iTunes. And if you don't listen to the end of this episode, you will never know. All right, anyway, so I just want to take a moment here while I'm, I'm holding the spirit stick and say thank you to everyone. Thank you so much for all your help. I mean, guests, friends, and family that have offered comments and critiques, um, and, and listeners, of course, all, all the listeners. There wouldn't be a point to this if there wasn't you know, you all out there. So thank you so much. It's very much appreciated. First 25 are done, here's to another 25, and beyond. So, yeah. Anyway, it wouldn't be an imposter if I didn't talk a lot and love my own voice, but go Ravens, roll tide, go science, let's do this now. We live in an age based on science and technology with formidable technological powers. And if we don't understand it, by we I mean the general public, if it's something that oh, I'm not good at that, I don't know anything about it, then who is making all the decisions about science and technology that uh, are going to determine what kind of future our children live in? We've really got to start at the earliest levels with having a broader view of what education really can and should be. Because I find that with the young people we have, we are able to motivate them. Science is all around us. It's in us. The knowledge of science is power. It gives you an understanding of the forces of nature. It's not even about how much science you know. It's about how science literate you are. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show and thanks again for tuning in. Now as I said in the introduction, this episode is The Countdown. And what I've done is I've selected snippets from each episode of The Imposter, and I'm going to play them for you, so you can either get a refresher of what that episode is about, 
or if you haven't listened to the episode, it'll be a tantalizing and enticing little preview for what you could potentially listen to. And my only request is that if you find an episode that you find interesting, or if you find one that you know someone else will find interesting, share it with them. Spread the love. Spread the imposter joy. And that's my only request, other than smile and have a great time. All right, so let's just get right into it. Episode number 25, A Game of Roves, The Debrief with Otis Bruner. And in this episode, reoccurring guest Otis Bruner comes on the podcast to tell us all about the recent marine research expedition he went on. Take it away, Otis. Oh, yeah. Opportunistically finding really interesting stuff. That's why it's important to record everything we see, even if it seems unimportant, everything. All right, cool. And why deep sea research is important? You mentioned that, you know, these population connect, uh, connections that you're indeed researching are important mm. for the marine ecosystems that inhabit not just the deep sea, but all areas and parts of the water column. Yeah, uh, it can provide habitat, spawning habitat, breeding habitat for, for fish that we catch in shallower waters and go to our table. There is migration between the deep and shallow waters. I mean, right. a lot of species do travel regularly yeah. up and down the water column to the seabed. It's it's the ocean. It's all interconnected. That's the beautiful thing right. about... There are no boundaries in the ocean. Exactly, yeah. There are no. There are only the boundaries we put there. Yeah. All right, lovely. So the next episode, number 24, is entitled An Expected Journey with Roe Allen. And this is about Roe's very different experience on his own marine expedition. We welcome Ro Allen, Emrez, and PhD student to the imposter. Actually, we welcome back Ro Allen. So you too were on an expedition not too long ago. Do you want to give us a little overview about that or how your time was aboard the Tangaroa? Tangaroa. Yeah, it's, uh, that is a awesome. Yeah, name. it's a really cool name. I think it's. I think it's got some history behind it. It's. Uh, let me. I need to actually pull this up because it's worth it. Tangaroa is a Maori god. This is episode number twenty-three, called "Drinking, Aging, and Science," part two, with Doctor Zanjani. Dr. Faika Zanjani, who is an associate professor in the Department of Behavioral and Community Health at University of Maryland's School of Public Health. It was a fascinating conversation about mental health and substance abuse in adult and geriatric populations slash communities. And uh, this week, we're actually going to continue that conversation because we didn't get a chance to fit it all into one episode. We're going to be talking about uh, her studies a bit more. All right, to be fair, I know that didn't reveal a lot about what that episode is about, but that's only because it's a part two of of a two-part series. So check out this first part, episode number 22, What's My Age Again? A conversation with Dr. Fekas and Johnny to get the whole story. Today, I am joined by Dr. Faikas Anjani, who is an associate professor in the Department of Behavioral and Community Health at the University of Maryland's School of Public Health. Her research focuses on adult health and development, as well as mental health and substance abuse in adults. Dr. Zanjani, thanks very much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. Let's hear a little bit more. I have this whole interest in preventive health, that what can we do now to make sure that you don't have a disabled older adulthood? 
just all intertwined together to create what I am doing now, basically, is this whole idea of changing health behaviors, changing health, whether it be an old age or younger, to make sure that we can live the highest quality of life and reach our potential in that way. It's very fascinating. It's actually, that's a great point that I think is really kind of glossed over right now, which is preventative care. Yeah. I mean, it seems that most mainstream health systems function in the sense of treating a problem mm -hmm. or disease, but it's not preventing it. All right, so those are part one and part two of the interview with Dr. Zanjani. Definitely check them out. Very cool stuff. Now, this next one, episode number 21, called Spilling the Beans with Doug Helton, is all about oil spills and the different types of oils and all that fun stuff. And the reason is because in episode 20, Dark Science, I was reading an article about oil spills, and I was fascinated, and I needed to know more, and here we go. Today we are joined by Doug Helton, who is the Regional Operations Supervisor for the NOAA Emergency Response Division. Doug looks at the West Coast, Alaska, Hawaii, and the Great Lakes region. Doug, thanks so, so much for coming on the show today. Sure, thanks for having me Okay, so I, I thought we'd start from the beginning. Can you just tell us a little bit about what your job entails working for NOAA's Emergency Response Division? Well, NOAA is a scientific support team for the U.S. response system. So if there's an oil spill or chemical spill and there's any technical issues, science issues, we may be called upon to support the operational response. All right, so that was episode number 21, Spilling the Beans with Doug Helton. Very fascinating. Definitely, definitely go back and listen to it if you have any interest in oil spills environmental conservation and oceanography because it touches on all of those so very very intriguing stuff right there okay let's get ready for episode number 20 dark science which is a culmination of different science headlines that i picked out and present to you all Today, we're going to be looking at a few of the most recent, in my opinion, most relevant headlines in the science world. Now, unfortunately, we're going to start by tackling quite a sad issue. On April 20th, 2010, a seal on the BP oil rig in the Gulf of Mexico malfunctioned, resulting in the death of 11 people, unfortunately, that were working on the rig at the time, and a tremendous stress on the marine environment. A study was recently published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences titled Sustained Deposition of Contaminants from Deepwater Horizon Spill. And it's a very interesting study and it starts by briefly explaining that approximately between 5 and 10 percent of the spilled oil made its way to the seafloor by hitching a ride on something called marine snow. And it's this mechanism in which petroleum-based hydrocarbons were found on the seafloor. Basically, that indeed BP's spill is the cause for why we have been finding oil contaminants on the, on the floor by the spill. You know, it was only a few weeks ago that Shell had another spill in the Gulf of Mexico, leaving an oil slick on the surface that was, uh, reports were saying it was 13 miles wide, I believe. And, you know, I, I it's... I might actually, I might have to do an episode about oil spills because there's really, there's so much stuff to know. Yes, I actually, 
<laughs> reflecting about this and saying it all out loud, I am definitely going to be doing an episode on oil spills. So, yeah, stay tuned for that. See, I did say that. Mm-hmm. Very clever. What can I say? I'm a man of my word. Next up, we have episode number 19 called Otis Bruner and the Deep Sea Crew, Part 2. Today we'll be continuing last week's episode, Otis Bruner and the Crew, Part 2. And for those of you that didn't listen to it, I would strongly urge you to do so because you might be a little lost but also because it was fascinating. And uh, just to get you up to speed, we are talking with the one and only Otis Bruner, a part of Dr. Carrie Howell's Deep Sea Crew, which I believe is affiliated with Plymouth University. All right, now granted, that actually didn't give you a lot about what the episode is about. However, it's because it's part two of a two-part series. So part one, which is the next episode, will illuminate that for you a bit more. All right, and as promised, here is episode number 18, Otis Booner and the Deep Sea Crew, part one. I promise you'll get a bit more from this one. We are joined by a very special guest, a good friend, a wonderful human being, and a brilliant scientist, Mr. Otis Bruner. Thank you for joining us, Otis. Well, hello. <laughs> Thank you for the introduction. Uh, well, yeah, I meant every word. <laughs> and Otis actually works for the Marine Biology and Ecology Research Center and the faction of that, which is the Deep Sea Conservation Research Unit, or as I love that acronym, CREW. Very cool, very cool. You and in the lab, you specialize in two different things. One is mapping the deep, which is, I believe, what you specifically do. And you also look at kind of population ecology and biodiversity of benthic or bottom-dwelling species in the deep, is that correct? That is correct. All right, coming up is episode number 17, Science on the Mountain. And this is another one of those episodes that I take headlines that have to do with the sciences, so keep that in mind. I hope you're ready for something different, because today on The Imposter, we'll be doing Science, Science in the, in headlines. the headlines. headlines. As I said in the opening, we'll be doing a different format for today's episode. You see, I'm going to take you all on a magic carpet ride of science communication as we go through five science headlines of my choosing. Now, the first one up is one from the New York Times entitled, Resettling the First American Climate Refugees. And that's all you get. You'll have to listen to the episode to find out what the others are. Alright, next we have episode number 16, Meeting the Dean, a conversation with Dr. Gregory Ball. Today we are joined by Dr. Gregory Ball, who is the professor and dean of the College of Behavioral and Social Sciences at the University of Maryland. Dr. Ball, thanks very much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Uh, just, just to let you all know, Dr. Ball runs a lab that primarily focuses on research 
surrounding the interrelations of hormones uh, and, and the function of hormones in the brain, as well as how hormones may function in the learning and activation of different behaviors. Uh, his lab also looks at the way in which behavioral stimuli are processed by the brain and their responses by the endocrine activity and or social behavior. Uh, a lot of your work is dealing with the avian persuasion. Yeah, we, I, I started out studying the behavior of birds in the wild, and um, I got very curious about what could explain the changes that occur in these behaviors, and that led me to the neuroendocrine system. And birds have been tremendously useful in trying to glean general principles uh, between hormone action and uh, the regulation of behavior. All right, this next one was really fun to do. We were able to go back down to Plymouth and do this one in person. This is episode number 15, Kelp Culture, part two, with Dean McEwen and Hannah Lowey. This week is a part two of last week's episode, Kelp Culture, with Dean McEwen and Hannah Lowey. And funny enough, we actually don't even talk about kelp really this episode. In fact, we tackle an entirely different topic altogether, which is what, if any, has changed since you've come into academia since you have become a scientist and if anything has changed in your day-to-day -day life and how you view it. Now this manifests itself in many different ways. We talk about media and movies to the way you think the world should be run frankly. And let me tell you it's a very interesting episode. Alright and now the first part of the previous episode, Kelp Culture Part 1 with Dean McEwen and Hannah Lowey. And Dean, I really hope I'm saying your last name right. But if I'm not, uh, well, you can go. This week's episode, we will have the first part of the interview with Dean McEwen and Hannah Lowey all about kelp and superheroes and commoners and all this fun stuff. And I got to say, really, it is so fascinating. You might remember Dean. He came on the podcast a few episodes ago talking about kelp and Again, this episode, we kind of continue that conversation, but it is truly fascinating and also really hilarious. You might be wondering, how can an episode about kelp be both stimulating and hilarious? Well, you're going to find out. Just stay tuned. All right, moving on down. We are at episode number 13, entitled Backwards Down the Science Line. And this is another one of those Science in the Headlines episodes. This is a shortened, quick episode because I didn't have a lot of time over the last few weeks. And essentially, we're just going to do a rundown of some important news that has come out in science and tech in the last week or so. So we'll just jump right into it. The World Health Organization has recently re released a new report that looked at the cases of diabetes between 1980 and 2014 and found that in fact around the world diabetes diagnoses has not doubled, not tripled, it has quadrupled in the last 30 or so years. And this is due probably to a variety of reasons. Cool, cool, cool. Next up is episode number 12, Only the Shadow Knows. The Science of Superheroes. And if anyone has seen The Shadow with Alec Baldwin, you get extra brownie points. If you have not and have no idea what this reference is, you have missed a key part of your superhero encyclopedia. 
Today, even if you don't read comic books or graphic novels, like myself, you are still exposed to a plethora of superhero films. Even if you have no interest in any of that, you still are forced to confront the fact that the Avengers and Batman and Iron Man and all the superhero movies that have come out in the last, like, five to ten years are very, very mainstream. And, and because these superpowers and superheroes are so prevalent in today's culture and society, I thought it would be an interesting topic to explore today. So yes, we will be exploring some of the science behind these fantastical fictions. In the interest of full disclosure, I will say that this topic has intrigued me from the 8th grade. I remember it like yesterday. I was walking into Mrs. Gupta's chemistry class when I was handed a piece of paper that truly broke my heart. You see, I was handed an article explaining the impossibility of the mutants from X-Men. Now, of course, deep down, I knew this to be true, but it hurt very much, nonetheless, that I would never get to live out my dream of being Wolverine, or at the very least, Magneto. Okay, so fast forward to today's episode, and now we're going to revisit some of the science behind my superhero heartbreak. And, as a bonus, we're going to hear from a few of my peers about what superpowers they would choose. Oh, I love that episode. That was a lot of fun to do. So, if you're interested in superpowers and or superheroes, definitely recommend that episode to you. Moving on, we are at episode number 11, A Cup of Tea with Dr. Daniel Duick, MD, PhD. I have to admit, this was also a really fun episode to do. Dr. Duick is awesome. Today we are joined by Dr. Daniel Duick, MD and PhD. It's, it's Duick. Duick. Yeah. Is it actually Duick? I don't know, actually. <laughs> it's spelled Duick. <laughs> and Dr. Duick is, or Duick, <laughs> is chief of the human immunology section, or his, at the Vaccine Research Center in the NIH, the National Institute of Health. Institutes. Institutes. Apologies. And am don't I, be fooled. Am I going to be correcting you throughout this interview? You might do. Okay. You might do, yeah. <laughs> so thanks very much for joining us. My pleasure. Your work is generally focused around HIV research, and you have kind of three areas of study, as far as your website, <laughs> uh, your lab website has said. Yeah. That is HIV pathogenesis, yeah. HIV reservoirs, yeah. and the immune repertoire analysis. Yeah. And vaccine correlates. Yeah. All right, cool. So we're going to get into what all of those are. Okay. All right, everybody, take a knee. Take a knee. I want to I wanna pause here for a quick sec just to appreciate something that I've noticed while I've been editing this little catalog here, which is that you can really tell the difference from the later episodes uh, where we're coming from to the earlier ones where we're going in, in terms of the style and tone and, and editing structure that uh, has really transformed itself and, and has made its own sort of imposter style. Anyway, I thought that was interesting and, you know, fun to always track progress. All right, next episode we have is episode number 10, a one-night stand with marine biology. I didn't want it to be. I kept leaving messages and calls. 
Hello and welcome to today's show. I'm Amir Fogel from the great state of Maryland, USA. And uh, I'm Ro Allen and I'm from England. Today's podcast episode is going to be about how to be a marine biologist, the avenues and the choices you will eventually have to make as a marine biologist, and if you are going to be pursuing it seriously, some tips that might help you along the way. On top of that, we also want to address some kind of like myths and misinformation that are circulating online and really um, try and give you a strong idea of what being a marine biologist is actually like and what it entails on a day-to-day basis. Yes. Do not watch The Life Aquatic of Steve Zizou and assume that that's what a marine biologist is. That's only on Saturdays. (laughs) All right, bringing it down to episode number nine, a conversation with Dean McEwen. And let me tell you, that is exactly what we had, and it was fantastic. Dean tells us all about his Masters of Research project and his current PhD project, and all about kelp, and it's pretty badass. So I was tasked with basically seeing if there's a virus that infects kelp, which was before that not known. And are are viruses in the marine environment fairly common? Is this a new field of study that people are now discovering? They are now known to be the most numerous biological life life form on the planet. The most numerous life form on the planet, you just said. The most numerous. Wow. So in a milliliter of seawater, there are between a million and a billion viruses. Okay, just, so just in case that came over fuzzy for people, you said in one milliliter there's between a million and a billion viruses? Yes. Wow. All right, awesome sauce. Thanks very much, Dean. Now, episode number eight is entitled, Wait, Doctor, What's in That Syringe? And it's one of three episodes we did in a series about products that contain animal ingredients, and this one is about products in the medical field. So, as most of you may remember, a few weeks ago, we started a series on products that contain animal ingredients in them. If you don't remember, I'll refresh your memory. The first episode was about glues and adhesives. The second was The Secret Life of Shellac. And now the final part, the concluding part of this series, is going to deal with the expansive and relatively well-funded field of medicine. Now, some of you may already be aware, others maybe not, but there are many medical interventions sourced from plants and animals. I spared you the content in that one because I did a lot of research, and it's very comprehensive, so you should listen to it. All right, episode number seven is called Zoos and Aquariums, and in it, Ro and I have another casual conversation about the pros and cons of zoos and aquariums. So let's jump right into it. Today's kind of informal dialogue conversation is going to be about a subject that some people can have very strong feelings about. So today we're going to be talking about zoos and aquariums. Pros and cons, my friend. One benefit to zoos and aquariums is getting young people, and not just young people, but people in general, involved and interested in the animal kingdom. Yeah, absolutely. I think if if you're able to go see animals with your own eyes and watch them moving around, um, that forms a connection that you can't, that can't manifest necessarily through a television documentary or something else like that. Um, So zoos are really valuable, and as you said, creating interest in the general public into these animals they're also great centers for education so in almost any zoo you walk around there'll be um, 
you know, there'll be snippets of information about how the animals live in the wild, why they've adapted to look a certain way, how they feed, bits and pieces like that. So, you know, just being in a zoo, you're just absorbing this great education about all of the animals that you're seeing. Episode number six is the second episode in our series of products containing animal ingredients. The episode is called The Secret Life of Shellac, and shocker, I know, but it's all about shellac. Today, we'll be talking about the elusive yet popular and commonly used product called shellac. 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 But you can call me Jimmy. Okay, so shellac refers to the final stage purified form of a resin produced by the lac insect, also known by its Latin name, Lacifer Laca, which also might be a butchering of its Latin name, so, you know, keep that in mind. So I just have to say real quick, before we go on, that this series, the one, the products containing animal ingredients, was fascinating to do. I had a lot of fun researching and recording it, and I learned so much. So if I learned a lot, you, you will probably learn a lot too. Hopefully, hopefully I'm doing my job right in conveying what I've learned to you. All right, so episode number five is awesome. It is one that I recorded with a bunch of my friends that were on my master's course, Woot Woot Plymouth University. And I'm not going to let you hear the name from me. I'm going to let you hear the name from Seinfeld. Is anyone here a marine biologist? If you missed it, the name is, Is anyone here a marine biologist? Hello everyone, welcome to this episode of The Imposter. I am Amir Fogel, your lovely host, and today I'm joined by some very good friends of mine. Uh, we'll just go around the room, because these are some ex-peers. No longer peers, but ex-peers. So we'll start with my left. Hello, I'm Dean McCown. <laughs> I'm still your peer, by the way. <laughs> You're never my peer. <laughs> Alright, so we have Dean. Uh, I'm Rope. Hello, I'm Ryan. And I'm Josh. And uh, the lot of us were on the MRes course at Plymouth University between 2014 and 2015. And uh, this episode is just going to be kind of a casual conversation between some good minds. Kind of a mind meld, if you will. So I'm going to start us off, and I'd just like to maybe go around and see what everybody's project was. And or final dissertation, we should say. If you're into marine biology and you want to know some depth into the different paths that marine biology can take you down, that episode is for you, so definitely check it out. All right, number four is the first episode in our products containing animal ingredients series called Glues and Adhesives. The history of glues and adhesives goes back thousands of years, and I, I have seen some conflicting dates, uh, and I think the primary literature points to that the first evidence of adhesives and glues dates back to about 200,000 years ago. The Homo hidelbergensis, which is a now extinct ancestor of the Neanderthals, was found to use the kind of tar made from birch bark, and it was used to glue stones to wood to make spears. Love it! Alright, cool. Moving on. So episode number three does not have a flashy, catchy name. It is called episode number three with Dr. Claire Embling. 
However, it is special to me because Dr. Embling was the first academic that I had on the podcast, and she is wonderful, very brilliant, and we got to talk about dolphins, noise pollution, all this fun stuff. So check it out. Just talking about the drive now for offshore wind farms, for example, but that, you know, it's it's great to have renewable energies, but at what cost? Yeah, so obviously... We need marine renewables as part of the important role in combating climate change. Mm -hmm. Wind is obviously the biggest Mm -hmm. here. And one of the issues for marine mammals with wind turbines is that they have to be held on the bottom somehow. And one of the main methods in which you get these massive, massive turbines to stand up in the middle of the sea is obviously you have to make a big hole in the bottom of the sea. The main way in which they do that is something called pile driving. So basically... Sounds nice, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Basically you're taking a massive, generally metal pole, and then you're just ramming it into the sea. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it makes quite the ruckus then. So you're you're doing pile driving for quite a long period of time. You'll have gaps in between. So you think about that noise going into the marine environment, it's kind of like a big bang constantly. And it's been shown to displace porpoises, for example, hmm. which are in these habitats, because they're mostly in their shallow water habitat, which is prime habitat for, for porpoises. Right. And it's shown to displace those hmm. for, for up to 20 kilometres. Is it, I mean, have they done blood testing to see stress levels, seen cortisol levels or anything like that? I mean, Not as far as I know on the stress levels. Yeah. We don't know what the stress levels are. And we also don't know what the causes are of displacement. So we don't know what the population level impacts are, and that's that's the big question. We know we know they're being moved away. We know that they do come back afterwards right. on the whole. There's mixed results on that one. The thing that I'm always concerned about is that these things are going on for quite a long time. Yeah. Then if you think about somewhere like the North Sea, you've got multiple wind farms going in all at the same time. You've got cumulative impacts. Hmm. Woo! All right, everyone. Congratulations. Give yourself a round of applause. We have made it to the end of the countdown with episode number two, Marine Plastics, a conversation with Roe Allen, Emrez. Now, this is an important episode because, frankly, I'm constantly shocked by how little people know about marine plastics. So this is very informative. It's a casual conversation, so hopefully it won't be too preachy. I don't think it is. And it just highlights that we need to be more aware of the plastic that we use and the trash we produce. There are some innovators and entrepreneurs that have tried to address not only the plastic problem, but other marine and or freshwater pollution. The one that I think has grabbed a lot of headlines for the last few years has been one... What, what, what is the young chap's name again? Uh, Boyan Slat, I believe. Slat, who yeah. is a Dutch entrepreneur made famous... Because at the age of 17, he devised a plan that has since gone undergone some revising. Take, take it away. Uh, T- take it away, Rob. <laughs> I don't want to misspeak, so. Um, yeah, I mean, so, so on a top level, essentially, this young entrepreneur had an idea of creating a floating array of beams which could be deployed to the Pacific Garbage Patch or any garbage patch. Um, that would drive water towards the centre of the beam where plastic could accumulate and then could ultimately be removed from the sea. So it would be, um, it would. The idea was to create a massive 
piece of technology that could be used to passively remove plastics from the ocean. Now, it was a great idea, and however, his idea came under a lot of criticism just because there were some practicalities of it that rendered it unfeasible. Mm. However, from the attention generated from um, his TED Talk in particular, and just the fact that it was an exciting new idea, meant that the project was funded and it was allowed to develop. And now it's at a stage where it's something called, it's referred to now as the Ocean Cleanup. And it's a company which, uh, yeah, which has taken his his concept to a new level. And now they've got this idea of having a fixed barrier in the sea, which through the same principles drives plastic to accumulate against this barrier for its ultimate removal from the ocean. Yes, and you can look it up if you're interested about what it looks like and or the actual theories behind the technology at www.theoceancleanup.com. Okay, everybody, so now that we've finished the countdown, I will keep my word and I will tell you what happened to episode number one. Now, in the interest of transparency, I will let you know it is not an exciting story. I just told you that at the beginning to hook you in so you'd listen to this whole episode, damn it. (laughs) And it worked! Unless you skipped ahead, then you're a cheater. You get out of my classroom. Anyway, so episode number one was recorded and put up on the SoundCloud as the premiere episode for The Imposter. It was a little long, uh, but the feedback that we got was that it was good. It was just long. However, when I needed to upload more episodes and I ran out of free space on my account, and I had to pay for more, I didn't want to pay for more. So I took the first episode down so I could put new episodes up. And then when I got to, like, episode six and I ran out of room again, I realized I'm going to need to pay for an account for real because this is just going to keep coming up, so I might as well just bite the bullet and pay for it. So I did. And then I just decided I'd never put episode one up again, and it would be the mystery episode. So, if you want to listen to it, you have to email me at theimposterpodcast at gmail.com and I will send you a personal copy of it, alright? I won't tell you what it's about. All I'm going to say is that you will find it very interesting and it's, it's pretty cool. I've worked hard on it. Alright, other than that, let's wrap this baby up, alright? So, the usual stuff, thanks as always for listening, for tuning in, and supporting The Imposter. You don't know how much it means to me, but I'll just let you know it means a lot. So, there you go. Because I'm a consistent guy, I'm going to remind you to like and share The Imposter on Facebook, SoundCloud, Twitter. You can follow me at Another Fogel. That's Fogel, F-O-G-E-L. And I don't want to hear any super bad references, please. Other than that, don't forget to subscribe to The Imposter on the iTunes Music Store, keyword Imposter Podcast. And finally, if you have any friends and family that you think would enjoy this podcast, spread the love, as I said in the beginning of this episode, because, hey, everyone could use more imposter in their lives. All right, everyone. Other than that, we will see you next week, and you have a great weekend, a fantastic day, and other things that are complimentary that will make you feel better. I don't know. We'll see you later, folks.